Hey y'all, welcome back to the Thursday, May 26th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, jam-packed show for you guys today, three-parter uh, here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. So uh, very excited to uh, drop all those on your podcast feed uh, today. So look out for all three coming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast. Um, make sure uh, you check out uh, all three if you can. But first up, we got Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South to talk all things SEC, college football, the future of college football, NIL, Jimbo versus Nick, um, Kentucky, the SEC East, Tennessee, uh, all that and more with Connor. Uh, great conversation that I think you guys will enjoy. So uh, that's what we're doing to get started here on part one of the Chase Most Podcast. Uh, make sure that you check us out on YouTube. We're on YouTube, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Most Podcast. You'll find us there. Uh, read me at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Uh, type in your email. Uh, that simple, that easy. Read about hype uh, and the hype train uh, for the Tennessee Volunteers uh, in terms of Vegas betting odds heading into the 2022 season. So check that out at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type your email and become a subscriber today so you never miss any of my future stuff. Tweet at me at Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. And then email the program at uh, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am joined by one of my favorite college football SEC minds. It's Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South, a very good, very great SEC coverage site. Connor, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I appreciate it, man. Good to be here. Um, it feels like in the middle of May, we've had some uh, some pretty incredible fireworks, which, look, I'm in yeah. the content business. I don't hate that one bit. So, yeah, there's uh, there's probably about a million different things to be able to talk about right now. How over uh, just the NIL? Like, what is the biggest thing that you get from fans that tweet at you or uh, email you guys that just you're like, all right, I, I, I want to I move on. I want to move on from this subject matter because there's just I'm tired of talking about it. Is there one thing? Um, I get tired of talking about like what it means for the future of the sport and if it's going to kill college football. Mm. Like, I, I can't. I can't think of a single time during a college football Saturday this past year in which I thought to myself, man, you know what? NIL just made that Saturday worse. Like Mm -hmm. I never had that thought. And so for everybody that continues to say that and to default to it or to use it as like something in the off season where anytime they see a ridiculous headline, you know, certain Tennessee commit, maybe getting $8 million. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Connor. We are a minute and a half in. You don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. You don't know. You don't know. Hey, I don't know. Sports out of this. I'm admitting, I'm admitting that I, I do not know the financials mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, based on, based on the people that I've talked to, it's kind of been understood. But at the same time, I'm also not the person sitting here being like, it's going to kill the sport. It's going to be so much worse. Or I hate it when people say uh, you'll get responses about like, oh, you know, they're going to have to do taxes on that. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know what, like, Americans have to do is taxes when they make money. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's the way income tax works. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's one of those things that I, I feel like people that are from a different era of college football, I grew up in a different era of college football have had a had a tougher time dealing with I'm more of the mindset of like, 
I, I don't want to see a cap. I, I think market value is really relative and all over the place at this point. But, you know, I, I think it's it was something that was long overdue and you can't have these TV contracts without players at least being able to get some sort of a cut from the name image and likeness. Yeah, and you're not getting the cap. Like your antitrust lawsuits are coming. Like you cannot do any of that. But you talk about the market value. It's just kind of, I think when you talk to coaches and I've talked to a lot of coaches and both the high school and college level, and it just seems like, it's and this is i think kind of what saban's speaking to a little bit is that once you're here and you're playing on saturdays in tuscaloosa your value goes significantly up like people are watching alabama because they're like oh bryce young's fun like will anderson on the edge is fun people are wearing your jerseys all around the stadium people are coming to see you play but when you're coming in these high school kids like a junior or senior where there is no there shouldn't really be much of a market value right because we don't know and most people don't know who you are yet but you are it it's not really market value is what they're arguing when they're juniors and seniors in high school so it's like when people are like oh it's just the market working it's like this is kind of a different kind of market because these boosters and uh different schools are kind of creating their own little markets for these guys and that kind of complicates and makes everything ambiguous but speaking to what else you've been saying about the death of college football it's always been murky it's always been gray this sport has been (laughs) defined by its gray nature from my for my entire life it's always been gray it's just different levels now and it's just getting used to more gray and more uncertainty and i think just a lot more work for fans like that that i think is unmistakable is that if you want to be a big time college football fan in 2022 it is significantly harder than it was 10 years ago like it is so much harder to know who's where, who's in what division, who's in what conference, how everything works, like what this guy is going to do, like where we are in the portal, where we are with NIL. Like there's just so much more that we're asking the average college football fan to keep up with. And I think that is something that will continue to hurt the sport going forward is that fans cannot invest the same way because they're like, I don't even know who's who anymore. Like, even in my division, I don't know who's under... Like, if you ask the average SEC fan right now, could they tell you who Missouri's quarterback is going into this year? I couldn't tell you because there I don't we know go. if it's going to be Brady <laughs> Cook or yeah. if it's going to be Tyler Macon. I know they try to get into the portal. They got Jack Abraham, the kid who was yeah. originally in Southern Miss, and then he went to Mississippi, Mississippi State, State yeah. and I thought that... I Look, I thought Eli Drinkwitz should have made a play for JT Daniels. That was even stronger. I know, yeah. that, you know that was that was in the mix. But like, like, look, like I think that's going to quietly be one of the, the storylines that Mizzou wonders about this year because something like Luther Burden, so this is a good example of this. Mm. Luther Burden comes in as the number one overall receiver in the mm-hmm. country, and he goes to Mizzou. He's an East St. Louis kid. And now in this era, the transfer portal, you're like, wait a minute. Eli Drinkwitz needs to figure out his quarterback situation. Didn't work with Connor Bazelak. He transferred to my alma mater, Indiana. Um, mm. And now we're kind of wondering, like, all right, so, like, what's Mizzou going to do at quarterback? And if he, and if they don't figure that out, could Luther Burden leave after year one? Because you know that dude's going to get tampered with. You've mm. got everybody and their mother saying, hey, come here, play for this this guy, team up with this quarterback. So, like, that's that. those are the moving pieces that you talk about that, you know, f- even three years ago, we're not having that conversation about a number one receiver recruit because it's like, all right, well, if he's going to transfer as an undergrad, then he's going to at least have to sit for a year or something like mm-hmm. that. So it's messy. It's murky. It's just a, a a sport that has more moving pieces than ever right now. Yeah. What do you think? What are you hearing? Do you think, what do you think it's figured out first? What do you think? Because it's not the NCAA that figures this out. What do you think Sankey 
and the rest of the ADs and commissioners figure out first? What do you think? In, it could be NIL. It could be portal. It could be roster movement. What What do you think they figure out first? I think they figure out a plan to break away from the NCAA. I think mm. that's that that's like the the non move move, but they've realized going through the the pandemic and dealing with scheduling issues and whatnot that the Power Five commissioners have all the power. I mean, mm. that's that's really what this comes down to. I, I don't see them all of a sudden settling on a cap. I know that George Klyakov, the Pac-12 commissioner, I know Greg Sankey, they went to Washington to be able to sit down with those decision makers and say, hey, we need federal legislation on this stuff. I, I think more likely than running into a bunch of antitrust lawsuits is just breaking away from the NCAA and coming up with your own enforcement ent- entity. Because right now, what is, what good does the NCAA do for college mm. football if it's not going to be an enforcement agency? I mean, you have blatant cases of tampering the ncaa has tampering rules and they just choose not to enforce them this is the same organization i've repeated this point a lot so i'm not saying this for the first time but this is the same organization that literally said it was overwhelmed by the waiver wire process in the transfer portal system that it created and therefore it did away with that and allowed undergrads to be able to transfer without having to sit out a year so like this is an organization that with college football, like college football has just gotten too big for the NCAA. It's as simple as that. So I think that's kind of next. And that's what's going to allow college football to ultimately transfer into a real true pay for play era and not this kind of weird space that we're in right now where we don't know what's pay for play, mm. what's NIL and anything can kind of be summed up as NIL. And I think we'll have some more defined guidelines in the latter half of the decade. Yeah, I... Jack Swarbuck's interview with Pat Forty was extremely illuminating a few weeks back. Um, I, I, it just makes me nervous in some areas where it, it's just like you said. I think the best way to describe it is it's too big now. Like it's just too big, and this is just what happens when you become a billion dollar industry, and in that you just have this many moving parts, this many people that need to be paid, this many just circumstances involved. I. I just wonder, do you think like when I just had Edgar Thompson on from the Orlando Sentinel and we were talking about Florida, but he was also talking about, he talked to Scott Strickland, uh, the AD at Florida, not too long ago uh, for a story. And something that he brought up was just that um, I I asked him, I was like, do you think the posturing is going to like that? He described it as posturing if the SEC is going to have their own playoff. But the one thing he was like, divisions are gone, like that from the sense that when we get to 16 teams in the SEC, divisions are out. And it seems like the ACC is already doing that. The Big Ten is going to do that. Like, that's where we don't need divisions anymore. But when I saw, oh, there's some, like, we'll just do our own college football playoff. We'll just do that. That that scares me. Where it's like, okay, then we're just going into way too much tribalism in our camps. And that's not what anybody wants. I don't even think players want that. That's not fun for America. That's not fun for the sport. I was like, that's posturing. Like he was like, that's posturing. I don't think they're actually going to do that, but it's more of like, this is our power. And we will do this if you don't expand the playoff or do what we want to do going forward. It's more, do you think that's more of where where they're at? It's leverage, 100%. Mm -hmm. It's it's Greg Sankey saying, I really hated the way that this played out where all of a Mm -hmm. sudden the Alliance decides, oh, you know what? Actually, we don't want to do this expansion to 12 teams. And we're really hung up on the automatic qualifiers for the Power Five Conference champs, having that automatic qualifier for the highest rated group of five champ, having mm. that special time slot for the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know what? We're, we're actually, we as the Alliance, we don't want to support this expansion movement. And Sankey's like, 
look, I was the one that was trying to get down on your level. I'm the one mm. that has the conference that's out here dominating. That's 12 and three in college football playoff games, excluding the ones that are SEC against SEC. So we're talking about a, 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 a dynamic here, the SEC versus everyone else that that exists. Because I don't think the Big 12 is really factoring into this at all with, mm. with how in flux it is losing Texas and Oklahoma. And I think that Greg Sankey's and he has been very vocal about this ever since they had that meeting back in January, had the national championship. He said, I feel like people took me seriously when I said we don't have to expand. They mm. don't have to expand when the current contract runs out at the end of the 2025 season. That's kind of the misconceptions. Oh, well, you know, if we don't do it early, then, you know, we'll, we'll still get there in 2026 and to me i look at everything greg sankey said and he's like look man we don't need this we're gonna mm. have 16 teams in our league and winning this conference is going to be an unbelievable achievement we'll get the tv contracts we know that sec fans will watch people playing rock paper scissors no watch anything so mm. that's the part of it i agree with you though i i hate that idea i think it takes us back into the 20th century and yeah. I don't want to see in 1997 where in Nebraska and Michigan don't actually play for a national championship. Picture if that played out this year where you mm. have Alabama going 13-0. and They win the SEC championship, whatever the regular season SEC championship is. I guess that would be different mm. if you had an all-SEC playoff. And then Ohio State wins, you know, thir- goes 13-0 and and then wins this non-SEC playoff. And then those two teams don't play? What? Yeah. I don't, I don't want that. I don't think even the, the, the most diehard SEC fan wants that, even though they'll probably say, oh, yeah, let's break off. Let's do our own thing. Mm-hmm. It's all about leverage. Greg Sankey wants to be able to get the alliance to realize, look, these are stupid things to get hung up on. We have two decades worth of data to show us that not all conferences are created equal. Why should it be the same prize for the Pac-12 to, to, to be able to have their conference champ get the same exact thing that the SEC champ does? That just doesn't make any sense. And I understand why Greg Sankey made this move, though I agree with you. That's not what he wants to see happen from this situation. What do you think ultimately happens? Do you think we get to 12 in a couple of years? What do you think ultimately happens here? And I'm beginning to think that we could stay at four. Like I, I think that's possible. And the interesting thing here, and I don't know how much this has really been talked about, but it should mm. be when so Oklahoma and Texas coming to the SEC, that that initially looked imminent. We're like, what is the Big 12 going to do? Have these lame duck powerhouse mm-hmm. teams in their conference and just awkwardly have to hand Oklahoma a Big 12 championship trophy for three years? Now it's looking at, like that's going to play out, and they're going to have this weird scheduling model for two years because don't forget, like in addition to you know, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati going to the Big 12 next year, BYU is also going to the Big 12. Right. So there, there's not necessarily this urgency, though, on the SEC side to add Texas and Oklahoma. That deal is done. It's mm. happening. It's not like the playoff where we're like, oh, will it happen? Won't mm. it happen? No, no, no. O- Oklahoma and Texas are going to be in the SEC for the start of the 2025 season. So if you're Greg Sankey, you don't have to worry about that. They're coming. It's just a matter of time. Why would you want to necessarily get them in there early for a four-team playoff and have mm-hmm. a 16-team conference and then potentially box yourself out even more? The SEC has always been so uh, so smart in terms of the way that it creates its path to the playoff. I thought the Big Ten really cannibalized itself when it made that move going from the eight-game conference schedule to the nine-game conference schedule, and they did that in 2016. They watched their conference champion get left out of the college football playoff three years in a row. That's mm-hmm. bad. The SEC doesn't have that problem. 
the champion of the SEC has played in a national championship game 15 of the last 16 years. So that's not the issue there. But at the same time, there's a balance. And that's what the SEC is trying to figure out. That's what they're trying to figure out with the scheduling model and all these things. So that's a long-winded way of answering. There are a lot of moving pieces here. But I don't necessarily think it's a lock that, that we expand. And I think there's a scenario in which it stays at four and the SEC decides if it wants to, to break off. But maybe maybe that does mean like, hey, you know, the SEC kind of has to give in here and it doesn't ultimately get its way. That's interesting. I, uh, I'm excited to see how that goes. I, I just I don't know if you're with me on this, but where I'm at is I love bowl season. I grew up loving bowl season. Bowl season's dead. I'm okay with moving on at this point with the playoff. It's like if the playoff is going to be kind of like our March Madness where everything revolves around the college football playoff and the conversations week to week and these universities are making hiring and firing decisions on the college football playoff and players are deciding what to do with their winter time based on the college football playoff and where they're at, we might as well just rip the Band-Aid off and just say, all right, the sport is now the FCS. This is where we're at. We're doing the playoff system. That's it. We love bowl season, but it's just like the BCS. It's a thing of the past. We got to move on. 12 teams, whatever. Great season. I I don't know. I just, I wonder where it goes because, man, there's no point in having, like you talk about people getting left out of the playoff. It's just more like, I wonder if there's like this, this tough medicine that Greg Sankey has to explain to a lot of these ADs around the country because, what I've always argued is like Cincinnati was a great story last year. Like they were cool. That was a great story. They gave Alabama a. Can we argue about Cincinnati? <laughs> okay, go ahead. I well, I, I so I was on the Cincinnati bandwagon. Like yeah. Very early. I, I said in May last year they're going to the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. I, that was I, I was on record with that. Um, let's ignore the fact that I had Clemson winning a national championship. That I said it was going to be the best Oklahoma team of the Lincoln Riley era. That stuff's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'll scratch it from the record. I'll cut that. Yeah, we, we don't need that part. Mm-hmm. But I thought Cincinnati deserved it and, and mm-hmm. was was plenty worthy of that. And you see the way that it played out in the NFL draft where you're looking up and down and you're like, dang. Like, oh. So they had an early-round NFL quarterback. They had more guys getting drafted than the vast majority of, of college football Look, teams. I've always been a Desmond Ritter guy. People forget. Yeah. I've always been all in on Desmond Ritter. Always been in on Look, a guy and, who's like 22 who looks 47. I've always right? been in on him. Yeah. yeah. Have we ever seen Desmond Ritter and Kane Brown in the same place? I always ask that question. They're, I don't know. Saint, they they look really really similar. Mm. I wonder about that. Although after Kane Brown's uh, appearance on College Game Day, uh, I'm not convinced that he knows his way around the football field. But that's a different story <laughs> for a different time. Um, mm. I, I think that I think that Cincinnati was was worthy. Like I have no problem with Cincinnati doing what it did, which was going to Notre Dame and winning that game, mm-hmm. and then going to Indiana and beating my alma mater, who had a really disappointing season. But I thought, like, all right, if you're going to be a group of five team, it's not just within that season. What Cincinnati did to actually give itself a chance was play a game that went down to the wire against Georgia, against Georgia's yeah. team that was really hot coming in. So, like, I, I know we, we talked a lot last year about, like, what group of five teams were kind of worthy and, and would Cincinnati be able to kind of stack up. And I actually, like, it played out exactly the way that I thought it would against Alabama. Like, that's, that, that's pretty par for the course with their game plan. So yeah. I had no problem whatsoever with Cincinnati getting in, though, admittedly i was biased with having that pick back in May. houston's got i don't know if you looked at houston's schedule and there were houston i i said on this podcast i was like folks do not be surprised if houston's 11 and 0 10 and 0 late in the season and people are like are they gonna backdoor their way are we gonna get backdoor uh ac aac teams back back years i just don't think 
like a lot had to go right. Like if Oklahoma State does not get stuffed at the goal line, Cincinnati does not make the playoff, I don't think. So a lot had to go right. And I don't think anyone even I don't know if Cincinnati would even argue that they were a better team than Oklahoma State last year. I, I they certainly would argue wouldn't. That. They would argue they were better would than Oklahoma State. They would. I wouldn't. I, I, I'm not. I, I, I feel so bad for the Cowboys. Like, that was their moment. Like, that was it. They finally broke through and just stuffed in the goal line. Because that Baylor team was fun story. But they, Oklahoma State was just pulverizing people. They were – that defense was legit. They had all these guys coming back for the extra COVID year. And it was just the stars aligned. Oklahoma had the season from hell. Texas had the season from hell. It's like everything's coming up, Cowboy. And then to not do that and then – because I think they also would have given Alabama a better game. I think that would have been more of a problem. I, I mean, the game itself was just kind of a, a grind game. Yeah. Like that, that was going to be the game plan. There was no way – like if you're at Alabama, why would you test Sauce Gardner and Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant in this unbelievable secondary? Why would you let – my Jay Sanders get get ahead of steam like that defense mm. is just so good and it kind of made sense to to kind of grind them down the way that they did but yeah like I last year the way that that played out you know getting into that fourth spot it's like yeah all these different things could have happened but you know at the same time do I think any one of those teams would have beaten Alabama no like I, I don't I don't know that Oklahoma State would have. I mean, Oklahoma State did not have the well. There's more to it than that, right? It's not just beating Alabama with a 14 playoff, and that was something I pitch to the Cincinnati argument was just that like it's not just beating Alabama then you're having to beat Georgia the a group of five like it's just college football is not like the NFL like that where you can expect a group of five school to run the gauntlet of the top two SEC teams they're not beating them in back like it's just well, not what about Oklahoma can we, can we yeah. expect Oklahoma to do that no like that's that's the thing is these these yeah. teams that have, that have happened in the semifinal where it's just like it's so obvious man like right. college football is different in that regard and then what, what I keep preaching over and over again is Talent wins in college football. Mm-hmm. Look at the two four seven talent composite index year after year after year, and you will see the correlation. There's a reason why these teams, when they have a month to prepare, they mm-hmm. got a month to prepare. The most talented team wins like every single time, and it's not as simple as saying, "Well, you know, if they had been power five, they would have had a better chance." Like Oklahoma State was—I I don't even think they were in the top forty in the talent composite. Like, I, yeah. I don't think they—they were—they would have been able to to give Alabama a much better game. I'm now I'm really intrigued about you know Jim Knowles going to Ohio State yeah. and how that could potentially impact that defense because they need some help. And Ohio State is like my—I came out this week with my my playoff predictions. I have mm. Ohio State winning a national championship, and that being kind of a, a difference maker. Yeah. Oh, do, do you want me to drop a stat on you? I'm ready. You? Okay. And, and I'll, I'll just ask you this question. I floated this out on, on a Saturday Night South podcast as well. Mm. In the past 17 years, how many times do you think the AP preseason number one mm. has gone on to win a national championship? Not up. Is it zero? It's one. One? Who was it? 2017 Bama, a team that Ooh. many people said shouldn't have been in the playoff. They needed overtime. They needed second 26, mm-hmm. all these different things. So, like, I wonder about that dynamic about this year's Alabama team and how hearing eight months of how good you are mm-hmm. and getting that kind of scrutiny, how that impacts a, a team. And I, I do wonder, you know, I guess if, there, if there's anybody that can kind of overcome that, it's it's Bryce Young. I mean, right. He's kind, of, he's kind of wired that way. But I do wonder about a stat like that. And I think that like when people hear that, they're like, wait a minute. So we're just wrong about Alabama all the time. It feels like we're, we're, we just – blindly pencil Alabama in and it never quite happens but I think we end up getting an Alabama Ohio State National Championship see that would even surprise me like back that would be three straight uh national title appearances for Bama it's a lot of 
a lot of mileage um, on a lot of those guys who've been with that team. But I don't know. We could see it. I, I just have more questions. I guess in years past, we'll see how if Burton is the guy and he just lights it up. I don't know. Um, we'll we'll see with Bama. I think they'll be fine. They've got a good coach down there in Tuscaloosa. I've yeah. heard. I think they'll be okay. Speaking of that, do you think this is something I was thinking about with Jimbo and Nick? Was that I um people were like, oh, is it October eighth yet? Is it October eighth yet? I'm ready for this game. First off, folks, don't wish your life away. This is silly. When I see stuff like that, it bums me out where I'm like, yeah, you guys got to fill your Wednesdays and your Thursdays in mid-May. You got to you gotta live day by day, day by day. Let's not, the college football fans are like, oh, I'm ready for the season. No, 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 no. Let's watch the number one team in baseball. It's it's a lot of fun. Just take it day by day. Um, like being in everything school, just one of those cool things about being a being a volunteer. It's just that you have good sports <laughs> year round. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun thing. Like you being an IU guy, uh, it's not really a, not really soccer a uh a little 500 is a lot of fun uh, there you a lot, go a lot of cycling um <laughs> women's basketball had a, had a really really good year but and like men's basketball was you know for what's it looks like he's century. yeah they're moving they're yeah, moving trace, jackson, trace jackson day was coming back you know yeah. big news but yeah I'm, I'm not holding my breath on that we'll see um but i guess it's just a lot can change with jimbo and nick i feel like this summer, I would not be surprised at all if the animus between the two of them is gone and faded into the background by October 8th. I've, am I wrong there that I think these guys will talk it out and it was just more of like a heat of the moment. He was super mad. He went nuclear publicly. And then Saban, I, I just, I have a hard time believing these guys who all have lake houses next to each other and they all seemingly are friends behind the scenes will not work this out. Like I have a hard time believing that the comp, like it's more of like a competition where it's like the stakes are so high. And I think the nerves of a lot of these guys are so fried that they're going to have some time away or they're going to go to the lake and then play some golf and be like, what were we arguing about? What were we like? What did I really go after you publicly in that way? Did I call you uh, despicable 19 times? And I don't know. I feel like Nick Saban might even have a sense of humor about it. Where I was like, that was pretty good. That was a, that was a good rant, Jimbo. I don't know. Am I wrong? This felt different, you know. Hmm. It just it just felt a little bit different. I, you're right in that these these guys fraternize in ways that we probably don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. When, when we're all opening our, our Phil Steele magazine in the mm-hmm. summer, Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney are on Gasparilla Island hanging out <laughs> together, and they're yes. debating who owes each other dinner. Like that's the way that that plays out, mm-hmm. and it, it could play out in. in um, very anticlimactic fashion with, with Jimbo Fisher and, and Nick Saban. But this felt personal. It, mm. it really did. For Jimbo to stand up there and not just say, hey, we didn't buy our recruiting class. And that's the key mm. word in this entire deal. Is Saban saying bought and mm. bought its entire recruiting class. And like you can debate the merits of that. I'll, I'll just sit here today and say there's no way that Nick Saban could have known for certain that every single member of AM was only, you know, was was strictly was strictly bought and that AM was the highest bidder in all this and like that they signed specific contracts. Like there's just no way that's it can And the idea that Walter Nolan didn't just watch tape of Miles Garrett and then him AM being like, here's what we do with defensive linemen at College Station, like you're in good hands. Like Miles Garrett could have reached out to Walter Nolan and that could have been something like that. Where it's just I understand where he's like, no, there's recruiting that goes into this. There's still, you have to be good. If it was easy and if it was just bought, like everybody would do it. And his perspective is like, no, we're still putting in the time. Like tell my guys who are at these high schools flying around all the time, meeting yeah. with these kids, showing them tape. Cause they showed them tape. They showed them how they're going to use them, how this, 
And I think that's probably where a lot of it stemmed from too. Is like it's not that simple. We weren't just writing blank checks, and that was our recruiting class. Yeah, that's that's the discrepancy. Like mm. you can show, you could be Mike Elko, and I talked mm. to Mike Elko about like his his defense and all the pieces he had on that defensive line last year. And that defensive line is the reason that they beat Bama. Like, yeah, the, the pressures that they had in that game and the way that they were able to mix things up and get home with only four was the way that was the way that they were able to beat Alabama. Way easier said than done, of course. Like you watch Demarvin Leal, and you're like, mm. yeah, that's. That's a dude who does everything. He plays inside. He plays outside. It's the reason the Pittsburgh Steelers yeah. drafted him. Um, but I, I think that this this whole dynamic and why it could be different is the fact that it, it wasn't just that. It was also Jimbo pushing back and saying, like, you know, we there's a reason. Like, I've had opportunities to go back and work for him, and I haven't. Mm-hmm. Like, that feels different to come out and say something like that. Basically saying, like, look, I worked for this guy. I know mm-hmm. what's under the hood. I, I've seen the way that he operates. And for him to come out and accuse me of this, he's essentially saying, like, don't throw, you know, I think he said at one point, it's hard to keep track of everything that he said, like, don't mm-hmm. throw stones at a glass house, all those different things. But that that to me felt like, okay, maybe maybe there there is a new wrinkle in this relationship and, and it mm-hmm. won't just be water on the bridge so like it's one thing to be lane kiffin and to look into the cbs camera and say get your popcorn ready and then mm. kind of have that guy on your face and be able to laugh about it nobody is better at avoiding an l than lane um and being able to kind of move on and make a joke of it but yeah. jimbo's not wired that way because jimbo's not also isn't held to the same standard that lane is jimbo right. was brought was bought brought bought whatever the i'm slipping up now you're like you want this. jimbo you want the right? smoke from jimbo now yeah yeah exactly uh he was brought there and given that flip that fake national championship plaque and said <laughs> look this is this is the standard here and that's mm-hmm. the reason they did that and ultimately we're going to define jimbo fisher's tenure at texas a&m by whether or not he can win an sec championship win a national championship so it's just different. Jimbo is clearly under a different sort of microscope there. Mm-hmm. And to be called out by your former boss. I mean, if my former boss basically accused me of taking shortcuts, not, not of cheating, but by take of taking shortcuts to achieve success. I, I but think do you think that's what Nick was ultimately saying? I don't think Nick, if he could do it all over again, he could have thrown out another name. I think it was more pointed at just here's what they're doing. It was almost like this. We have to do this or we're going to fall behind type deal where I don't think he was faulting Jimbo. I think he was just like, Jimbo's ahead of me and ahead of us here. And we have to fix this. If you want to keep winning national championships, that was like my, like it was more, it wasn't really a shot. It was more of like, this is what works now. But the key word there is bought. Yeah. If, if, and because because we're not at a place in, yeah. like collectively in college football where we can even process what that means. We've had mm. decades of, of, of our brains telling us that, that that saying that right there is accusing mm. someone of cheating. True. And I think Jimbo Fisher is still wired that way. And that's why that defensive nature came out in mm-hmm. such a public way. So yeah. Is there a part of Nick Saban that is sitting there in front of all those business owners in Birmingham saying, look, we need to get on board with the NIL. We've got a collective. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that he said. We've got 25 players who were able to make money off of this collective that had $3 million. There's a part of Nick Saban that is absolutely saying, look, let's let us let us make this happen for our guys. Let's make sure that they're well taken care of and all that. But I think the bigger thing that he was trying to, to, to point at, which Jimbo Fisher actually agrees with, they, they, mm-hmm. they're both in agreement on this issue, is 
wanting to have the, this legislation, wanting to have some sort of guidelines to be able to say, this is legal, this is not legal. Everybody is operating under the same rules. I don't think Nick Saban really wants to have to build his roster that way. And he brought up the mm. point of having the guys who are guaranteed that money up front. And then for three years, they're not even playing yet. And he's like, well, that's a bad investment. I don't want to have mm. to build up my roster that way. I don't want to have to listen or worry about if a booster you know, has paid this player X amount of dollars and I feel a pressure to play them, I want to just be able to 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 play the best players and so i think that's part of it as well but it was a multifaceted answer there's no doubt about it yeah that's gonna come up regardless but i think that's also come up just with smaller uh, smaller fees basically i think that was just something that's happened in college football 30 years ago 40 years ago their boosters were involved like read about college football in like the oh, yeah. 70s and it, like boosters having influence on roster decisions and who plays and who doesn't that's that's been in college football for a long time. That is not something that's new in 2022. Um, it's kind of like certain things in college football just come full circle. It feels like a little bit um, in terms of the SEC East. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, now that the rosters are pretty settled now, they're pretty settled. Um, Georgia, obviously being uh, the cream of the crop in the SEC East, the top, um, I think they'll have a little bit of a drop off. Vegas sees a little bit of a drop 10 and a half where there is some wiggle room where they see it could be Oregon. It could be the, the more likelihood, the more likely option, Tennessee at home uh, later in the season. It could be Florida. Who knows? But I, Georgia's schedule is pretty easy. Like Georgia's schedule, there's not a lot of landmines on it. And I actually made this point too with uh, scheduling in the future of college football. If you're a Georgia fan, you should be pissed at what you're being get. Like the Oregon game being a neutral site and losing a home game for that. And then this being your home calendar, the home schedule for Georgia fans is rough. Your number one game is Tennessee, and that's it. Like Florida is a neutral site. Oregon's a year. Yeah, it's just rough. And you're caught. You tickets are going up, man. Tickets aren't going down. And these fans are like, "What are we paying for? What is like this is that's that's a separate conversation." But um, I'm curious where you stand right now between the tier two. So tier one's Georgia. Tier two, I think, is for me, tier two is Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky. Tier three is South Carolina, Mizzou. And then tier four is just uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores, unfortunately. Shout out to Barton Simmons and Clark Lee. Uh, but I just, I, I don't see the wins. Like you go through that schedule and it's, I don't see the wins. Um, is that a, is that the tiers that you have or do you have it mixed up? How do you, how do you, how do you define tier two and tier three for you? I would probably say that tier two is Tennessee and Kentucky. Mm. I think they're, they're worthy of being in that spot. The offensive firepower that they're, that they should have this year. And of course it helps when you return a starting quarterback. Um, But what they were able to do last year and against, you know, good competition as well. I know Georgia was pretty much able to keep that Kentucky offense at bay. I joked that my doppelganger, Liam Cohen, him having (laughs) two touchdowns in that game, uh, should have made him worthy of winning the Broyles Award. Um, mm. But still, I, I think that we look now at Kentucky and we say, well, what's next? I think Will Levis is going to take that next step. I, I think that him being a summer enrollee last year and playing as well as he did, especially in the latter half of the season, and then when they can finally cut him loose as a runner, th- that part of his game has shades of 2018 Joe Burrow, where Joe Burrow was a guy who they couldn't really cut loose from a running standpoint 
early in that year because Miles Brennan was the emergency quarterback as the backup, and he was injured. They had all those depth issues at quarterback. They really didn't have much of an offensive line in 2018. And then when Burrow finally gets to run, he takes off like he did in the seven-overtime game against Texas A&M. Will Levis, same thing last year against Louisville. And mm-hmm. look, like I, I get why the buzz is there. He's got the velocity. He's got the the, 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 the toughness, the, the understanding of a pro-style offense, which they incorporated last year. So there are a lot of things to like with Kentucky. I have questions about some of the pieces defensively that they're going to have to replace. I wonder about who the alpha is going to be without Josh Pascal and, and, and a couple of those different elements. But, yeah, to me, I, I think Tennessee and Kentucky are worthy of being in that spot. The, the Hendon Hooker-Cedric Tillman connection, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot, is should be one of the best in all of college football. I mean, it, it might have the highest floor of any individual connection in the SEC it should be phenomenal. I mean, all Josh Heupel does is crank out top 10 offenses. I would expect that to be the case again this year. I would have loved to have seen Tyon Evans stay, but that's a different subject for a different time. Man. Um, but I still think they're going to be able to, to run the yeah. ball. Like that's, that's what they always do in that offense. So I, I'm of the belief that Kentucky and Tennessee are kind of in, in that, that, that tier two and then tier three. You know, I have so many questions about, about South Carolina's offensive line. Are they going to be able to protect Spencer Rattler? Spencer Rattler put on about 12 pounds of muscle to try and try and be able to be a little bit more durable mm. uh, as a runner. He's going to take more hits than he did considering what he was playing behind at Oklahoma with those mm-hmm. offensive linemen there. So, yeah, I think South Carolina is kind of in the next year. And then I, I just have a lot of questions about Florida. I think Florida defensively is going to be really bad. I think it's going to be yeah. rough year one. But Anthony Richardson, can he cut down on the mistakes? That's what Billy Napier has been able to do in the past. Are they able to get him some help in the running game as well and kind of establish that? Montreal coming over from Louisiana. Really like him, yeah. Justin Shorter, is it the year? Like, if Justin Shorter finally pops at some point, then I don't know. I'm not of that belief yet. Well, then that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. They brought in the Arizona State kid, too, who I don't know much about. Yeah, the the thing that they're going to be able to do really well is those those RPO slants. Yeah, that's going to be money in the bank. That that's going to be their best passing play, and it's going to be a, like not to this this level, but when Tua and Jalen Waddle used to just do that at will, and you'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a seventy five yard touchdown. Boom, there you go. That's that's all you need. They're going to be able to do some of that this year, but of course, those are the high percentage throws. I still mm-hmm. need to see Anthony Richardson cut down on those mistakes. The LSU game, I always say, kind of encapsulated everything he is as a quarterback, where you see the upside, you see the downside. Let's see what it looks like week to week, not having to look over his shoulder with Emory Jones with a, and, and not have to worry about a coach who's trying to save his job or anything like that. So, yeah, I have more questions about Florida and South Carolina. And then Mizzou, you know, we just talked about the quarterback situation before. Like, that's a big piece of this entire deal. Eli Drinkowitz is going to steal one. He's, he's always going to steal one but you can't put him in that next tier. So I would say he's probably Mizzou's kind of in its own tier and I would probably yeah. like tier four and then South Carolina and Florida, I guess are in that tier three range. Yeah. I just, South Carolina's schedule is brutal. Like you look at another just brutal schedule, like South Carolina, I think I pulled it up the other week. I think their last three games are Tennessee, Florida and um, Clemson. Like they, and I think people it's recency bias but people remember how you end far more than how you beat like it doesn't matter what you did in september and october it's like how did you finish do you have some momentum because south carolina the momentum stuff was like oh they beat florida late they win the bowl game there's all this momentum uh josh heupel had to share a new coach of the year award with someone he beat 97 to 4 in in Nealon that i was there for not that i'm still thinking about that (laughs) a little bit um but it i'm just South Carolina fans are, they're excited and they're, they're up. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I think if you make a bowl this year, 
if you're South Carolina, this is a successful season because this season is like anything more than six wins. Shane Beamer, build the statue because this is uh, this is rough. Like South Carolina fans think South Carolina is what Kentucky is, and Kentucky I think is in this own tier where Kentucky's got a high floor. Like out of all the tier two teams or the teams below Georgia, if I had to bet, like the highest floor, it's South Carolina. Or it's Kentucky. Tennessee, you could maybe say just because of the offense, but the defense can be bad. You talk about a bad defense uh, in uh, Florida. Tennessee secondary is just, I mean, Flowers and McCullough will be back at safety spots, but the corner depth is yep. non-existent. And they have, there's so much being asked of Tyler Barron and Byron Young on the edge yeah. that, like, they can't get a breather. Or <laughs> you just can't. You can't you ever in that defense, though? Like, that's that, that's the yeah. match against Heifel coming in. Is the, well, you want, like, four guys. We can rotate a little bit. We want some rotation there, and we just don't have guys to rotate in. One of the guys who is going to be most missed in the entire SEC that I'm not sure was talked about enough last year is uh-huh. Matthew Butler. Yeah, Having a guy who can play as much as he did and be as in shape as he was mm-hmm. to play that snap count to me was one of the big reasons why Tennessee surpassed my very low expectations. I said Tennessee, uh, from a defensive standpoint, that is. Mm-hmm. I said Tennessee was going to have the worst defense in the SEC last year. And I was mm-hmm. wrong. And Tim Banks absolutely proved me wrong. And I think having a guy... And Who was level, worse last year? Who was uh, worst? Last year would have been... Mizzou, right? Mizzou, yeah. Mizzou, I think Mizzou ended up being worse. Although they actually had a much better November. Hmm. Um, and then, because it wasn't... Like, Ole Miss was just... Was, was perfectly fine. Vandy was obviously worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd have to I, I'd have to go go back through and figure that out because no one else pops off the page. I'm trying. I guess LSU had to be pretty bad last year. Yeah, LSU was was still pretty. Although they figured things out in the last month of the year. That's, yeah. that's kind of what what a lot of these teams did. So yeah, I'm setting those expectations really low. But at the same time, it's like, well, in this era of college football, you can kind of have a bad defense and still be eight and four, still be nine mm-hmm. and three, still kind of mess around and have some fun. So. Um, yeah, I, I think that those questions on the defensive side for, for Tennessee are real and not having, not having Alante Taylor who just developed into just a phenomenal guy who came in playing on the other side of the ball and you know, say what you want about Jeremy Pruitt, but kind of getting that guy to, to buy into playing corner and doing those mm. things that he did early in his tenure, I thought paid dividends for them last year. I'm excited. Uh, we'll see what happens though. I'm ready. I, I'm not, you know what I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm not ready for the season. You know what I'm ready for? Hoover SEC championship baseball where the Tennessee volunteers I don't think are even going to play because the delay so everything's behind so Tennessee I think if they played today uh it would played bandy um it'd be like 11 midnight near I just I don't think that's going to happen can I, I ask you, can I ask you a question you know Tennessee baseball more than I do and I've, yeah. I've been kind of wondering about this and I was, okay. I was talking to I was talking to Dari Noka about the, this subject could there be a an SEC football version of what Tennessee baseball has become in this modern era with all the scrutiny on social media, with the way that the game is officiated from a defensive standpoint, with some of the, you know, it's not the mid-90s with the way that safeties are allowed to play mm-hmm. and the headhunting and all those different things. Could there actually be a, an SEC football version of what Tennessee baseball has become? <sighs> I mean, Kiffin tries to do that at Ole Miss a little bit, but they don't have the they don't have the firepower. It's just yeah. it's like if you had Kiffin's brand at Alabama, maybe, but I don't know. It's just it's so volatile, and I I don't think so. It's also just like the the amount of games. So it's like part of the appeal with Tennessee is when we you just like oh they won another series, oh they swept another series. It's so 
helpless to watch these opposing fan bases come into Lindsey Nelson and just game one versus game two. And then the game three vibe where it's like, we just want to get out of here. We're tired of these home runs where it's just the baseball is a longer ordeal. You're having to sit there and there's not a lot of action for a little bit of time. And then there's just a bunch of action at once. And then there is just the game gets away from you. Like the Mississippi state game, um, the first one last week, they had three home runs in the first top of the first inning and it was over. The game was over in the top of the first inning. So could that happen in college football season? But it's also like we're coming off the diamond just with the the leopard print uh, over our shoulders and like just fully embracing that villain type thing. But I just I think that's unique to to baseball, to college baseball. I don't think that that would translate. I don't because there's I just don't think it would translate. But I also am concerned because you talked about the AP number one, the preseason to win national titles. There has not been a number one overall seed that's won the uh, College World Series since like '99 with Miami. Yeah. So that's something that's concerning for for being too good, going, huh? Being too good, it must be nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's it's one of those things. Baseball's weird, man. Baseball's yeah. a weird sport. It's College World Series, regionals. It can get weird. Like we got a crazy regional last year with Wright State, who was just this great not group of five, but you know the same kind of thing. And it took a Grand Slam walk-off in the bottom of the ninth to survive that and make it to Omaha. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just fun. Like, it's just – it <laughs> with how Tennessee football has been for a long time and to see this baseball team just kind of be the Fulmers of the late 90s where yeah. we're just bigger and better than you because that's kind of what it is. With the John Henderson to the world and the Al Wilsons where – Jordan Beck is a gigantic human being and Drew Gilbert's just all muscle and we're throwing heat. We have Ben Joyce out here throwing 104. He sets the college baseball record or baseball in general record for his heat. Like that kind of thing where it's just the power is kind of reminds me of the Fulmer years where it's just Jamal Lewis and we're going to run it down your throat and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Like this is going to be uncomfortable and awkward and just awful for you, but you're going to take your, your medicine. You're going to eat your vegetables and that's how it's going to be. And that's what this Tennessee baseball season is. That's why I'm going to Omaha. Like, I'll never see a Tennessee baseball team like this ever again in my life. Like, this is uh, all the stars aligned. It's not sustainable. People will get extremely annoyed. There will be a lot more hit by pitches next year oh, yeah. if this is what we're doing year over year. But, hey, when you're in everything school, Connor, it's just part of the deal. It's, it just means more down here. What else do, What else can I say? Have you uh, Have you been to Omaha for the college world? No. It's fun. Really so you've been yeah i actually worked out in nebraska for two and a half years I nice and uh, so I it's worth to, it yeah i think so and, and i went um to see 2013 yeah 2013 indiana that team that had mm-hmm. schwarber on it and i'm a cubs yeah. fan too in case you can't tell yeah, yeah. Um, so like schwarber schwarber was my guy and the fact that like they were able to get there i got to see him win it was like a one nothing game it was before they kind of revamped the the dimensions and whatnot mm-hmm. that, that they had there and every game was just like oh crap nobody's gonna hit one out in this ballpark and it was but it was still like a really cool atmosphere Omaha kind of embraces it and I yeah I always advocate for it I think Omaha like I I love I love kind of those like small like like not overly intense downtowns like in Omaha mm-hmm. I love Indianapolis I, I've been a very big advocate of like a Charlotte or, or places like that so I I think Omaha is kind of a little bit of a of a hidden gem and going there for the College World Series and just kind of seeing that the fanfare and the way that people embrace it for, you know, for, for that week, or it's just kind of a unique experience that 
Uh, we don't really get anything quite like that where you just have mm-hmm. like fans show up and they just want to buy random gear and find yeah. a team and they like just jump on a bandwagon because they love the College World Series. Tennessee will be an interesting test if they can get there of what that that dynamic would be like if if they're going to have gear flying off the shelves, if they're going to be kind of embraced as like, you know, the late 80s Pistons, these bad boys, or if it's going to be a little bit of this different stay away, they're bad for the sport or that th- those think pieces will be coming, probably coming to Saturday Night South real soon. Well, hold on, Connor. You have control over this. You can limit those. You can just try, you can send them out. You can just say no. We're not doing that. We're we're not doing. I that. I don't have that much control, man. Like I don't know if you've gone to if you've got you go on the homepage right now. Like we've we've got so like I say all the time. We've got so much content on there. Like yeah. I can't control if if my guy Joe Cox is going to write a Tennessee think piece. I, I can't mm-hmm. control what Adam Spencer is going to write. Like you know my my colleagues they do great work. They come up with their own opinions. If that if that stuff is floated out there, then you know what so be it and that's that's the, that's the brand that's the way we do business but yeah there's there, there will be a lot of opinions about tennessee baseball the deeper they they, they last into into the postseason for sure i mean twitter's gonna explode if they don't win in omaha or if they lose in the regionals or something mm-hmm. like that like it's just gonna be non-stop just takes on takes on takes and and just like oh this see what happens when you play this way and you run your mouth yeah. and you do this this is what happened it's like or we just caught a bad break and we went cold at the wrong possible time maybe that's not like this full-on indictment on our culture here at ut maybe it's so it's, stupid like it, yeah it's it almost goes back to like the michigan fab five stuff mm-hmm. where people like when they would lose and then like they when they lost the national championship it's like oh see if they had been more focused on like yeah. playing quality defense instead of playing you know wearing baggy shorts it's like it's like did you listen to yourself just say that? Like, yeah. you really think that was a contributing factor as to why this team didn't win a national championship? Like, like and they're oh, a second away from winning a national championship. So it's like right? if that one second goes differently, if the timeout situation goes, it just it's so silly. The way so, like a lot of us just look at Play sports is so silly. It's yeah. result driven and all that kind of stuff. But it's fun. It's leading to expansion. That Knoxville's standing room only most of the time. Like it's wild to be at a college baseball game standing room only, and just people are dying to to see it and it's just it's a lot of fun dingers in college just mean more because the sound of the metal bat is a lot yeah. more fun you just uh it's just it's a wild experience three four five beck uh gilbert and lipscomb what are you gonna do yeah. what are you gonna do with that three four five spot i don't know connor i don't know yeah um my brother played college baseball at, at valparaiso and okay. uh, and so i used to go to his games a, a good amount and you know it, especially like if they played at butler or something like that i'd drive up to i drive up north in indianapolis when i was in college at mm-hmm. indiana and uh like seeing the college baseball experience there compared to what some of these sec programs have become you know tennessee obviously everybody was talking about mississippi state last year you know old miss he's, he's great mm-hmm. atmosphere it's like that to me is just it's a different world and, and i and i need to experience more of it because it looks like just one of the best tickets you can possibly get in sports right now. I mean, like that, that, that to me is just such a, a different sort of experience than, than when I came to, to grow up and expect as it relates to college baseball. But I remember my brother going down to, to play, you know, at Arkansas, like, mm-hmm. you know, would have been what, like third, like 12 years ago, 13 years ago or something like that. And just coming back being like, yo, the SEC is different, man. It's just mm-hmm. different. When you go back to when you go back home though, do you do people are do you notice do you feel more southern now at this point, Connor? Are you do you, do you feel southern these days? Or, or are you a, a northerner? Bit. What are you? Uh, I man, I don't, I don't really identify as as much because like I, I'm from I've lived in like so many different parts of the country. Yeah, I, you know, I I lived 
I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, went to college in Indiana, mm-hmm. went out to Nebraska. I spent, you know, I worked at Baseball Hall of Fame as an intern there for like three months. I lived in upstate New York. Like I, I feel like I've, I've seen and I've, I've traveled to different places and have, have experienced a lot. And so when I'll go back home and I'll drop like a y'all in casual conversation, I kind of go, look, like, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are you doing? And there's a part of Southern culture like that that you just kind of want to embrace and be a part of and i'm the person like i i, I want to try all the foods i, mm. I grew up with collard greens i want to be able to eat collard greens i want to i want to be able to to have you know uh wh- whatever tailgate food is available when i go yeah. to louisiana like i'm at and i'm in baton rouge so yeah i i kind of identify as like a, a midwesterner who is really embraced the south and to be fair i live in orlando man like it, yeah. there's a it's not really the south there's a bubble over here it's just a bubble over the entire city. I don't live. I was going to say, I wouldn't call Orlando the South. It's not. It's not. Gainesville's it's, the South. Gainesville and Tallahassee south. are the South. They yeah. qualify. But you anything past north. that. You yeah. got to go north to get to the South. Yeah, I love Gainesville. Isn't that weird? Too, yeah, you got to go yeah. north to get to the South. It's weird. Yeah, no, South Georgia and North Florida are the exact same. Uh, they're just, it, it, they could be their own state. Like South Georgia, because like, then the people who are like, oh, well, Atlanta, where I'm from, is very, very different than just about anywhere an hour outside of Atlanta. Um, it's just, it's just different. Connor Gara, thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, what can the good folks check out from you? You had a good piece on, um, on, uh, what, what am I blanking on? Oh, on Sankey in the playoff, uh, from today that I read. So check that out, but also all the other great stuff at, uh, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Your podcast, Texas Pete, still running strong, still putting it on everything. You like that? I Texas Pete every morning, man. Who doesn't? I put Texas Pete on my eggs every morning. I really do. I have to. Same. They're That's they're great. The way to do it. Yeah, it's it's the best. Whenever somebody's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm like debating having another hot sauce," I'm like, "Well, is your grocery store out of Texas Pete? Like, what, what are you doing mm-hmm. that for?" That's that seems silly. Yeah, I don't there you go. That. I love learning about uh, stuff from ads. Like uh, Matt Wyatt and uh, Starkville, friend of the pod, has a really good show. He has Country Pleasing, and he talks about it all the time. And then I Country Pleasing popped up in my local Kroger. And I was like, done. I already am sold. And it's the best sausage I've ever had. Like, I'll never go back. Like, I'm a big sausage guy. And it's fantastic. It's, it's hey, authentic brand connections are a good thing. They are. Yeah, that's what that's what we try and try and do with Texas Pete. Saturday on South Podcast, still presented uh, by Texas Pete. But, yeah, we, uh, we, we put that, like, on eggs, on sandwiches, chicken, whatever. Just makes makes any meal better i didn't think i'd be plugging texas beat today but you know here i we got go. you i got you <laughs> conor gara thank you so much i greatly appreciate it and we'll have to check back in again soon awesome appreciate it man all right that's a wrap for part one with conor gara of saturday down south here on the chase Homes podcast thank you again to conor for coming on the show hope you guys enjoyed conor and i's conversation on all things sec and cfb uh that's not the only college football that you're gonna hear on this one. Oh yeah it's thursday so that means the full ride with matt green's coming up too uh, look out for that in just one second. Uh, but part two of uh, the Thursday, uh, May 26th edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast coming up right for this on this podcast feed. So look out for that. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Helps other people find the show and it helps this show continue to grow. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. Subscribe, like, share out our videos, all that good stuff. Uh, new episode coming up in just one second. Derek, how to do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.